everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you for tuning back into our series on Revelation. We are so glad that you're tuning in. And today we are covering chapter 10. And this is a relatively short chapter, so this should be a short episode. Now, we closed out chapter 9 with two woes, the fifth and sixth trumpet. And before we get to the seventh trumpet, notice how the text is going to dart away immediately on to another topic, just as it did between the sixth and seventh seal. In that interlude, we experienced two different people groups of God, the sealed 144,000 Jewish men and Christians coming out of the Great Tribulation. Well, something similar happens here. We're going to see a bit of a pattern forming because there's going to be another grouping of two. Between the 6th and 7th trumpet, which is chapters 10 and 11, attention is focused on two different human channels through which divine revelations are going to be communicated, which makes the key word for both chapter 10 and 11 the word prophesy. Now, what prophesy means in chapter 10, verse 11, where it's found, and chapter 11, verse 3, where it's found, is to foretell events to divine. Other places in scripture, when you hear about prophesying, it's strong exhortations to repent and return. Well, these are going to be focused on foretelling future events. These human agents, they're going to be telling forth the divine counsels of God. And who are these people who are to prophesy? Well, in chapter 10, the text refocuses us back on John. While in chapter 11, we are going to encounter two witnesses who are given revelation that they are to share with the whole world. And you're going to notice at the end of chapter 10, John's called to the same thing, to prophesy to the whole world. Why? Why now for these prophecies? Well, because the climax of the trouble is just around the corner. So let's read chapter 10 together. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, The mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said, Take it, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Okay, well, so in chapter 10, we notice we have an angel, 
we have voices, we have John, and we have a little book. So let's try to grasp an idea of what all this means. Chapter 10 and actually 11 also open up with the appearance of mighty angels again, giving a sense of that there's another impending disaster. And this angel in chapter 10 not only has an awesome appearance, but he gets himself positioned to speak by standing on the land and the sea. In fact, the passage says that he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And I find that word set to be interesting because it means he's settling in, kind of sinking down a bit when you're getting yourself in a fixed position. That's what it's describing. And it is a verb also that is used of one's purpose when you're being set forth or if someone has an appointment to a kind of service. And so this same root, this same word is used to describe Christ followers, for example, when it says we did not choose him, but he chose us and ordained us. Well, that word ordained is the same word. It is a settling in. It is a, we are set forth for an appointment to a kind of service. The same word is also used when Paul is describing his service and the ministry of the gospel, where it says he has been placed or they put him into the ministry, 1 Timothy 1. Same thing. He has an appointment for service. Well, so does this angel. And this angel then begins to utter terrible truths in a thunderous voice. Truths only meant for John to know. Much like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, when it says how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul never repeated what he heard. Same thing here with John. Seven thunders utter their voices, which means it sounds like a roar. And seven being the number for completion indicates that something is completed. Something's fulfilled but it's going to be something that remains a mystery because as John is about to write, he is stopped and told seal up what those seven thunders just uttered. Don't write him down. So now we're back to something being sealed. The mysterious things that have just been uttered are now sealed shut. And it means the same things as all the other sealings we've been talking about where it's stamped with a signet or a private mark, right? But in this verse, not only is it sealed, but this word stresses the secrecy and security and the postponement of its disclosure. So it is truly a mystery that no one even on earth today knows. Now, th thunders having a voice might sound a little strange to you, but I want you just to keep in mind a couple of verses, and there's others, but just two in particular from, from scripture. Job 37 verses four through five says he thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. So that's one example of thunder being a voice. Or how about John chapter 12 verses 28 to 29? Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. So even though we may, not, we may only hear what appears to be thunder, it could actually be God speaking at times. We just don't know. 
So then the angel that is straddling the land and the sea raises his hand and swore by him who lives forever and ever that there should be delay no longer. That as the final half of the apocalypse develop, as these troubles begin to close out, the mystery would be finished, just as God declared to the prophets. In other words, we are progressing towards the return of Christ, which is such a huge mystery, but an exciting one. But then a strange thing happens. John was commanded to take the book that was in the angel's hand. And when he asked uh, for it from the angel, the angel told him to take and eat it, that it would make his stomach bitter, but be sweet as honey in his mouth. So he did it, just as the angel said. And when John did it, then he was told to prophesy. So at the climax of trouble, John is told to eat this book. What is the significance of this book? Well, I want you to note the reference to the sweetness and the bitterness of the book. Because you know in Psalms, it says that the word of God, about the word of God, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's Psalm 119.103. You'll hear different pastors or teachers of the word talk about how the word of God is sweet like honey to their lips. So the word is sweet. The word of God, the Holy Scriptures, when we take it in, it is so sweet to us, right? But now it has to go past that point and be digested. And therein lies the problem for a lot of people. There are things in the word of God that many of us find difficult to digest. So you see this word bitter in Scripture, it means to irritate. It means embitter, which means to cause to feel resentful. That's what it means to be bitter in scripture. But in this particular verse of scripture, it means to be made bitter, which means it will irritate. It will cause resentment. God, John's going to eat this book and speak things forth that people aren't going to like. See, there's a reason, friends, this is uh, some research for you, some data for you from George Barna. He is a well-known researcher of faith in America. And in his 2020 and 2021 uh, American Worldview Inventory, it's revealed that only 6% of adult Americans hold to a biblical worldview today. Ponder that a minute. That means when you hold a biblical worldview, it means you believe the Bible from cover to cover and you try to live by it. Only 6% of adult Americans, that includes Christians, friends, live with a biblical worldview. The remaining 94%, even if we call ourselves a Christian, aren't doing that. We're mixing. And that's what's called syncretism. And syncretism is what Paul addressed with the Colossae church, with the church in Colossae. In his letter to the Colossians, they, they started to have a mixed view of who God was. And that is still what we're up against today. Anytime we take on a different worldview and mix it together with something else, it is not truth, even if we're calling it truth. And that's what's happening. People are making up their own truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. But that's not correct. And so what happens now, many Christians today are struggling with the word of God. 
some of the things we read and are called to follow feel bitter. We want to focus on the sweetness of the word, right? All of the good things in scripture, the positive things, the things that spur us on to make us feel good and encourage comfort and make us feel safe, right? Well, but when we avoid the passages, they're a little bit harder to swallow, ones that are harder to comprehend and understand, especially when it comes to prophecy. The danger we run into is having an imbalanced view of God. And we need to be very, very careful of that. Well, God is now having John take this scroll and eat it, which is going to be so sweet. But now he has to digest the truth of it and speak those hard truths out to others. He has to prophesy, foretell of divine events to many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Why? Because the end is almost near. The two sets of seven judgments are complete. And now the end is right here. And God in his tremendous mercy, who desires that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance, is yet again having John prophesy to the nations. And we're going to see the same thing with the two witnesses. And what does that mean? It means there's still time. There's still time to repent and return. That's all for today. I hope that you digest that yourself. And until we meet for chapter 11, I hope that this is just another part of the Revelation series that uh, you take to heart and ask the Holy Spirit to uh, show you his divine truths on. Thank you again for joining us. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.